murder, divorce, drugs. Our courts are full of stories, scary, sad, and hilarious. Most are tales stranger than fiction. These are true law stories, brought to you by VideoCaseStory.com, the ultimate resource for customer and client video stories. All right, on this episode, we're going to talk about the one thing that's happening to everyone in law, the elderly swindle that's happening more often, siblings changing their parents' minds. We're going to talk about capacity and what is it. I, it's something you should know. The one thing you do to protect your family in case you get incapacitated and a simple step to prevent yourself from going to court. All this with McCabe Harrison. McCabe, thank you for being on True Law Story. Say hi. Hello. Hi. And uh, of course, this is brought to you by videocasestory.com. One of the best ways to promote your business, whether it's a law firm, Dr. Dennis, is through Video Case Stories. Learn more at videocasestory.com. All right, let's get started. You know, we've we got some crazy stories that you've had to deal with. I mean, it's, it's one of those situations where you're dealing with people at, at a troublesome time in their life. But before we get into it, tell me a little bit how you got into a state law in Gainesville, Florida. <laughs> yeah, so I grew up in Gainesville. My dad uh, was, he's retired now, but he was a professor at the law school here. My mom also went to law school and ended up staying home with the kids. So I was sort of destined to become an attorney. And then I was in law school. I really liked my states and trust class. And I sort of saw the value in specializing in death and taxes to a certain extent. And so I got I did an extra year of law school and just tax law. It's called an LLM and tax at the University of Florida. And then from there, I just did, did this kind of work ever since. Nice. Awesome. I want to start out with the stories of the people who get essentially swindled because it, yeah. it happens quite a bit. And I know from doing case stories that it just happens so often and people don't believe it's going to happen to them, do they? No. Yeah, I don't think people really... I don't think people realize how common it is or how little uh, sort of criminal enforcement there is in this area. It's it's really up to someone in your family suing over it to reverse it when it happens. Can you just give me a general story of this happening? What happens? Yeah, so a pretty typical situation we see often is basically so dad has passed away, mom is declining, has some dementia, maybe early, maybe late, has some health problems. And maybe let's say mom has two kids. One kid is sort of a deadbeat, doesn't have a job, doesn't have a lot to do, would like to live in mom's big house. He moves in with mom to be her caretaker. Then he starts changing her documents, putting himself in charge of her affairs, becoming her power of attorney, becoming the executor of her will, changing her trust getting meetings with the attorney and just sort of edging out the other sibling, putting his name on bank accounts, putting his name on a deed. And then mom passes away and everything goes to this person who's been doing these things. That happens often. It's usually this, all that stuff, or it can be a neighbor, um, a family friend might do it. Uh, sometimes it's a like second wife or third wife uh, or second or third husband who's sort of the evildoer. But that's a pretty typical fact setup. Now, why do you, I mean, it happens so often to people, but it's not just happening to people that are naturally frail in their mind, is it? Like, it's not like this, the people are like, well, I'm not that stupid or I'm not, I, I would never let that happen to me. Yeah, sometimes people just get persuaded. And that's actually the most difficult situation of all is if someone calls us and says, my mom 
is getting convinced by my sibling to put my sibling in charge of everything and put everything in the sibling's name, my first question is going to be, what's going on with your mom's health? Is your mom okay? And if mom's competent, I mean, that's sort of her choice. Sometimes it's sometimes, I mean, people definitely do get tricked and don't know what they're signing. We definitely see that, but sometimes people just sort of succumb to pressure. And then it's, it's a really difficult situation to get justice in that situation because if they're voluntarily with capacity making bad decisions, it's sort of their right to make bad decisions. Yeah, it's, it's, it is scary. And, and so what, you know, you say capacity. Mm -hmm. what, what is that threshold for capacity? So for... For a lot of what we do for the wills and trusts, it's honestly, it's it's a fairly low standard, really. You just need to understand what the document does, who the, what they call the natural objects of your bounty are. So basically who would inherit from you in general in the absence of the document, how the document might modify that and generally what you own. So it's something you've got to be really careful about as an attorney, because you don't, you don't want to be helping someone commit fraud, but at the same time, there are parents who legitimately want to disinherit all but one of their kids. And you want to be able to be a good attorney for them and help them carry out their wishes if they want, really do want to do that. But you also, I have been in situations where I was called to witness because one of my clients signed a trust estate plan that was challenged and it was ultimately upheld. But you, you don't want to be on the witness stand either as an attorney. Inevitably, if you do will and trust work, you're going to end up getting deposed and you're going to end up being a witness because you're sort of the star witness when it's being determined if they signed a valid will or trust. So it's going to happen no matter how careful you are. Being in these situations, crazy things happen, I'm sure, with money and death. You were the executor for a state for a, a bar owner too? Yeah, I was... I was an executor for an estate for, and I can, I can only go into so much detail, but I was an executor, not so often an attorney is just advising the executor. In this situation, for a variety of reasons, I actually became the executor for a guy who owned a couple of bars in town, a couple of bars that are, one of them is called Balls. It's a fairly well-known, I think, I think you could call it a dive bar without it being disparaging. That's just what it is. And it, it's proud to be a dive bar um, right next to, to the campus, right next to like the football game. So um, there are just some sort of administrative issues, a lot of complexity involved with this guy's estate. So I, I got involved in that. And it actually, I was the personal representative for six years. Um, most, so most estates take about a year to close. Uh, uh, and this one went on for quite a while while we resolved sort of all the administrative issues and got it, got it fixed up. We didn't, we didn't accomplish like everything I hoped to in terms of preserving his assets for his family. There, it was a difficult situation, but that bar and the, and the liquor licenses we were able to preserve. So I was happy about that at least. Yeah, that's, six years. that's a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Most of my cases don't go that long. So I was, you know, I was, I was happy when it, we were able to resolve it. You know, what's, what do you think is the biggest mistake people make or when the one thing that they can do to protect themselves? Yeah. Like from this kind of thing, I think having a good estate plan in place and designating who you want to be in charge early on is, is really helpful. I mean, if, 
So a lot of people don't realize, even if you're married, your spouse does not automatically have the ability to access your accounts or automatically inherit them when you pass away, unless you take some additional steps. So if I'm incapacitated, say I'm in a coma, my wife can't call up my investment advisor and change the investments in my IRA um, without a power of attorney. Either a general power of attorney would be ideal or one on file with that financial institution. So that's something that is fairly simple for people to do. It's something I recommend an attorney doing, um, at least in Florida. The, the power of attorney statute has a lot of gotchas. <laughs> Uh, and there's not a statutory form. There's not a form in the statute that says, if you do this, you've got a valid power of attorney. So it's easy to mess up. But for in terms of incapacity, that's a really powerful thing you can do. Or if my house is in joint name with my wife, if I'm in a coma, she can't just sell it without a power of attorney. If I don't have one before I went in the coma, it's impossible to get one after that because I don't have capacity to sign. So now she's looking at becoming a court-appointed guardian for me which is instead of a relatively inexpensive power of attorney, we're talking thousands and thousands of dollars to get a guardianship set up and then ongoing court supervision of everything she's trying to do to help me. So I think a power of attorney is something even for younger people, you could become incapacitated and it's super helpful for your family. Um, I think another thing is if nothing else, just put some beneficiary designations on your accounts this is a designation that's on file with the bank that says who gets the money when you pass away. So, and that will avoid them having to go to court and go through a probate to get it. Now, there's a lot of downsides to just using beneficiary designations. It doesn't work well if people pass away in an order you don't expect. It does not work well if money is going to a minor or someone who's irresponsible. Um, for that, you need a real estate plan, but that's something you can do that's very basic. If you've got a little life insurance policy, put a, put a beneficiary designation on it. Just talk to the company, put a name of who should get it if you die. It'll save your family a bunch of hassle if something happens to you. That's great advice. It's great advice. And obviously, if, people, if they have so, if someone's in Florida, they can give you a call if they have any questions about this, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. We can help um, and anyone in Florida, basically. Or if you have a family member who passed away in Florida who was living here, they don't have to have died here. They just have to be a Florida resident. Uh, then we can help with that situation too. Yeah, I mean, it's it's such an important thing that I think so, like, it's, this is probably one of those things that we really should be taught in high school, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, especially the the incapacity planning and avoiding this hassle for your family. And it it's it sort of goes along with financial literacy, which of course we're also not taught in high school. It, it just goes along with those things. Yeah, it's just scary stuff that it's like, look at all the stuff we learned in high school. And I'm like, oh, man, I really wish I would have been taught these things. And, you know, set them up because then your parents never teach them. Your parents don't do it. So, I mean, and you've had some other crazy stories, too, about having to go through people's phones after someone died. Yeah, correct? we often, I mean, often and we've had a few. So when we're, if we're involved in probate litigation and we think someone improperly had someone change a will or... Another situation that comes along is someone passes away and their will says, leave everything to uh, my son, but someone else is the executor or is in charge of handling everything and they're not doing their job. They're not telling our client what money is there. They're not investing it properly. Things are disappearing. Um, we've had cases where like expensive farm equipment disappeared and then 
all of a sudden we asked about it and it reappeared. They magically figured out where it was once, once we brought it to the court's attention. So as part of that, one of the first things we're gonna do is do what's called a request for production, where we basically compel the adverse party to give us tons and tons of information. This is part of a process that's called discovery. Um, and so as part of that, we're asking for like everything in your phone <laughs> from the dawn of time until now about this person and how you may have unduly influenced them or got them to do a will, all the communications we can possibly get. And, like th there's often litigation, there'll be a hearing over whether we can get all that, but we've had quite a few cases settle just at that point. We send our request for production and it's clear the other side's attorney went to them and said, okay, you're gonna have to give us all this stuff so we can hand it over. And they're like, forget that, settle the case, give them what they want. Um, so yeah, we've done that. And I mean, I've had cases where one of the important factors the other side's argument was that this was a uh, a fraudulent marriage, so certain marital rights were no longer present. So one of the factors was whether the marriage had been consummated. Um, so that is, you know, we're we're reading emails, we're reading text messages, trying to determine if these people slept together, basically. And what was the determination? Um, <laughs> they, uh, I we settled. I mean, they they so there's something that. It ultimately settled. This is actually a case in my previous firm, but it, I think once we showed all that to the other side, they sort of dropped that and then it settled in mediation. So they, they dropped that prong of their argument and went on to something else. You know, I can't imagine going through people's texts and emails. I mean, you must see some crazy stuff. Yeah, it, it's, it, and also just, I mean, we have a decent, number of cases where like the one i mentioned with the bars or we've had a few others where for whatever reason no one can serve as the personal representative or executor so to be if someone passes away and they need to do a probate in florida this court supervised process of your assets being distributed to your heirs and there's various ways to avoid it but in a lot of cases people don't so if you're not a florida resident you have to be a family member and you also can't be a felon so sometimes there are situations where no one in the family can qualify. And in that situation, sometimes they'll ask us to be the executor or personal representative. So that means we're going to the house, we're going through all their stuff, we're looking for bills that may need to be paid or notified as part of the process. Um, we're you know, potentially evicting people who are there. My brother had a case where uh, he had to evict these people and then on their way out, they uh, basically their car broke down. So they left their dogs like in a shed um, and they came back and got them. But he was like, oh, my God, you know, I can't let these dogs starve. Um, so we were trying to plan around that. Like, what are we going to do about the dogs? Luckily, it all worked out. The dogs are fine. You know, the people are fine. Um, uh, but so there's a lot of weird stuff. I mean, I, I had a client where I he named Again, this is not that usual, but he named me to be the trustee of his trust when he passed because he was um, sort of uh, not that close to his family. Uh, so I'm finding love letters and things like this and his stuff when I go through it, which it's it's just odd. Yeah, no, that's crazy. Yeah, oh my gosh, I can only imagine like, and, and, and like the people that don't trust their family, 
probably have some of the strangest stuff out there too. So <laughs> I can only imagine. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. So with all of this going on, um, how do you keep your sanity? <laughs> yeah, you know, that that's one reason that I have. So in the sort of I'm a partner with my brother and sort of the division of labor is he handles more of the courtroom and litigation side of it. Uh, because and I do more of the transactional or uncontested sign. So I'm not as good at compartmentalizing, but you get I think if you do this for a while, you get uh, not that you're not always, you know, em empathetic and understanding with clients and don't give them, you know, a shoulder to cry on sometimes literally when something bad has happened to them. But you definitely get a bit of thick skin and a, a bit of a macabre sense of humor about some of it just to sort of get through the day. I'm sure. I mean, you're dealing with death all day long, planning for it. Well, you know, yeah. Wow. That's a lot. Awesome. So tell me about a little bit about working with you all. How, who do you work with? I mean, obviously you do estate plans, mm -hmm. but you know, what are some other things that you all do and, and how can you help the folks out there? Yeah, basically what we work on is protecting people's legacy for the next generation. So protecting what they have for their spouse or for their kids, making sure that it goes to who we want, that we avoid a lot of unnecessary court process. And we can do a lot of things actually with protecting money for people who have special needs or a drug problem, uh, just plain old financial irresponsibility. And we can do quite a bit, especially in like second marriages to make sure maybe you want to take care of your second wife, but then you want the money to go back to your kids, not her kids after she passes. There are a lot of things we can do to structure that. So we do a lot of that. We help people when a family member passes away to figure out what their responsibilities are. And we also protect people's interests. If there's a dispute, if a trustee's not doing what they're supposed to do, if someone has stolen property, we can help with that. And we're, ac we're actually one of, um, there's a handful, but we're one of the few firms in town that does estate planning and probate and probate litigation. Um, so there's a couple others, but there's not a lot of people locally who really want to do all of those things. Yeah. Yeah. Usually they're uh, either they're a litigator or a contracts person. There's yeah. very rarely the two of them. I was just talking to a person in law school the other day and yeah, she's like, I do not want to be a litigator. And then, yeah, then there's the people like, I just want to fight everyone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, people say that, but litigation, it's like 99% research and writing, not, uh, you know, 95% is that it's not, it's not so much being, it's not what people think it is watching on TV. No, <laughs> no. Yeah. It's preparation, 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 research, 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 preparation. Awesome. Awesome. McCabe. It was, uh, so it's Harrison estate law. Mm -hmm. We'll put a link to the website in the show notes. Are you active on LinkedIn and anywhere else people can follow you? Yeah. LinkedIn, you can find us there. We have Facebook. We have, we have a pretty good blog and Facebook series. We posted on LinkedIn of estate planning mistakes that celebrities make. Um, so there's there's a whole litany of them. We try to do those about weekly, so you can get some entertaining information there. All right, celebrity gossip. What's the, what's the best celebrity story you've had lately? Because that's not even your client, so you can tell me that. We'll put a link to the blog in there. That's great. Yeah, that's it's it's funny because celebrities die too. All of them, right? Eventually, will die. Yeah, with really bad estate plans, <laughs> frequently. Surprise. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> awesome, McCabe. Well, thank you so much for being on True Law Stories. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. And thank you all for taking McCabe and I on your journey. This has been Ian Garlic and True Law Stories. True Law Stories has been brought to you by VideoCaseStory.com. Testimonials stink. No one wants to watch a testimonial or read a case study. You need video case stories for your business. Go to videocasestory.com to learn more.